Okay, well, hello, everyone. Thanks again for joining us here at the PLS 377 podcast. I hope this finds you well, wherever you're at and whatever you're doing. And this week in the course, we are turning to, um, it's, it's every week's important, but this is a critical kind of hinge week where we are transitioning from our discussion of uh, the Bretton Woods system, um, Keynesianism, the welfare state, um, the way that the Bretton Woods system as an international economic order kind of provided a set of conditions for both Keynesianism and uh, by extension, uh, what we call now the welfare state uh, to come into being and to operate um, within it, the, the parameters that were established. And I'm hoping that on one level that provides you some important kind of historical background in, in thinking about the ways that international economic orders come into being and the ways that they affect, again, the kind of trade-offs and the nature of the choices that states within those systems have, right? That they are both creators and consumers, right? And that's something that um, is important to stress about international economic orders is, is this idea that states both produce and consume um, international economic orders, which gives them an, another kind of interesting feature above and beyond what we've discussed about trying to create some sort of regularity and some sort of reliability and reciprocity in the absence of any sort of absolute hierarchy. And beyond that, just you know, using that as a means to kind of understand this important moment of time, I think it also provides a window into and in a set of conceptual and historical components that are going to really help us get at um, the, the immensely interesting and important topic and question of neoliberalism and, and what is neoliberalism? Where did it come from? And and I would say that we're going to spend uh, this next week really trying to dig into this and, and the week after that as well, um, maybe expanding a bit on that. But uh, in short, what I would say is that to the extent that we're able to, because neoliberalism, as we've already kind of encountered in the course, is just this massive, unwieldy concept or notion that is mapped onto a whole host of things, right? You know, the neoliberalism is applied in many different areas, and we'll get into that a little bit more next week in the class. And to the extent that we can try to home in on, on what neoliberalism is and, and what it isn't, um, I think having this knowledge about where it's coming from and what it is emerging from and the order that it is in somewhat conversation with and um, developing out of is essential for getting an idea of how neoliberalism emerged as a political economic order that supplanted and in many ways altered the Bretton Woods order and um, profoundly affected the nature and the trade-offs, as we've talked about before, of the states and the societies existing within this new international economic order. It's certainly a, a part of this story is also going to involve the decline and ultimate cessation of what was known as the Cold War um, in the late 1980s and early 1990s. Now, this is going to, the rise of the neoliberal order uh, is going to somewhat predate that, but um, certainly an important turning point within this period and, and perhaps coinciding with the rise of the neoliberal order as this dominant global paradigm coincides with the collapse and disintegration of the Soviet Union into its constituent countries and the fall of the communist regimes um, supported by the Soviet Union in Eastern Europe. So what I really want to use this podcast for, and I want to keep it short, just in, in another couple minutes, is to focus on one thing where I think neoliberalism is both complicating and confusing, and um, we're going to 
hammer down on this a little bit more um, in the class next week, but I, I just want to get this notion kind of out there and and use it as a way, as a window into kind of thinking and, and complicating perhaps our notion of neoliberalism. And perhaps one thing that we commonly associate with neoliberalism is as a kind of truism that neoliberalism wants to shrink the state or neoliberalism wants to minimize the state. I think that is an inaccurate description of what neoliberalism is. And and I mean, I'm drawing from a lot of other thinkers. It's not my own idea, but um, it's one that I think is important to point out here. And we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that in the class for sure. But for, for now, why I would say that is I think that's something where we, in some of our excellent student-led classes, we have this notion of a flow from classical liberalism to the Bretton Woods or embedded liberalism to neoliberalism. And one of the questions that often comes up is, well, is neoliberalism just the same as classical liberalism? In some ways, they do share a lot of infinities in this belief in the market, its belief in allowing consumer activity and open market activity to set and regulate prices, um, the belief that that will maximize wealth and resource allocation within societies and is superior to any other mode of distribution, because that's really what we're talking about, right? Again, systems of production and distribution, which we've brought up in the very first week of the course. But one, I would say one thing that is really distinct, distinguishes neoliberalism from embedded liberalism is this idea that neoliberalism has an idea and a theory of the state. And they do see the state as important to what they want to achieve. Whereas classical liberalism saw the state in some ways as a kind of background actor, as an actor that kind of stood in the background, provided some public goods in terms of um, security or legal enforcement. Um, And neoliberalism is going to see the state as needing to perform those roles as well. However, neoliberalism, and and we'll talk next week about thinkers like Hayek and and Milton Friedman, who are commonly associated with the neoliberal school as as academics, as well as public policy entrepreneurs, um, particularly Hayek, um, we'll we'll discuss um, more extensively next week as well, spent a lot of time advancing the cause of neoliberalism quite directly and, and engaging in um, kind of direct political action and trying to shape people's ideas about the economy and to move the intellectual center away from this belief in Keynesianism towards his approach. And part of that movement involved this idea of what is commonly called in the literature this idea of capture and repurpose, right? It wasn't about minimizing the state or getting rid of the state. It was about using the state to do different things that neoliberals as opposed to classical liberals saw the importance of the state in what they see as augmenting and facilitating market activities in a much more active way. Whereas classical liberalism, again, had a much more kind of passive view of the state and its role in economic life. Neoliberalism sees an activist state as critical to what it's trying to accomplish as an intellectual and social project um, in developing a political economic model, both at the national level and the global level. And in this way, the state played a central role in providing and and activating these sorts of market mechanisms um, within society. So I think that is important. And and that's very different than saying that neoliberals want a small state. Um, They want They want a a robust and powerful state, but they want a state to do very different things than what the state was doing under Keynesianism and particularly under the welfare state, which neoliberals saw as a danger to human freedom, right? And that would be Hayek's um, big point of entry. He wrote a famous book called The Road to Serfdom, 
And his notion is that any collective social project, which he included the welfare state under, ultimately will lead to what he saw as authoritarianism and repression. And that whatever, and, and, and in some ways Hayek wasn't a utopian. He saw that the market mechanism had its flaws, but his argument was that it's a better system, much more conducive to the maintenance of human um, freedom, as Hayek saw it, than collective projects like the welfare state, which again he saw as ultimately destined to lead to authoritarianism and centralized repression. Of course, there's a lot of critics of that approach, but this week we're going to try to understand the, the worldview of the neoliberals as an intellectual project, as a political project, as a philosophical project, and certainly as an ethical project um, above and beyond its common association with a certain strain of economics and economic thought. Okay, well, I'm going to leave it there for now. Um, I look forward, as always, to your questions and comments. Of course, you don't have to just focus on the podcast. You can include things from the reading, the advanced reading, or your own thoughts or ideas. So again, this is something I think we've all talked a lot about, we've all heard a lot about, but perhaps um, when asked really what is neoliberalism, things remain a bit fuzzy, and I hope this podcast is the first step in hopefully trying to hash out a little bit about this complicated question, what is neoliberalism? Thanks a lot. Have a good weekend.